This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? Yeah. It's, a, it's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. I knew I had an advantage over all the others. The power to recognize a flaw, a weakness, a defect, and to exploit it for my needs as an agent. And, and, and that's how I met you. And you were perfect for me. As lovely as an angel, and with the worst defect an actress can have. Fear. Such fear. Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast where we watch two movies, one movie from a previous decade, one movie from the now times, and we contrast and compare. And also, the other part of it is that there's a theme to the season. Uh, this season, we're listening to... <laughs> listening to... <this laughs> You're season. listening to us <laughs> talk about... Political movies. Yeah. Sorry. And we have progressed to the 1980s. Finally, we have arrived. Yay, the 80s. (laughs) I love the 80s. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm Jacob Geikendahl. I'm Deb Geikendahl. I'm Nicole Westry. I'm Karen Hernandez. Hey, Karen's back. Yay! (laughs) Season one co-host, back again. To annoy you. you, uh, (laughs) If you hear chewing noises. (laughs) (laughs) If you hear grapey noises, it's Karen. I am eating a grape. I'll put it down. Mm-hmm. Edit that out. <laughs> I, think, I think the last time you were here was probably episode four, three or four, when we did the loving episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you were yes. here for a different episode. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a jillion months. Yep, a lot of months. Ooh, listen to that whistling. That is not a human being. <laughs> That's a, just an oompa loompa sounding parrot. Hey, what did we watch this week? So this this episode, I've I've been looking forward to watching at least one of these movies. Uh, one of our watches, a couple episodes back was punishment park which was a movie mm-hmm. that i discovered uh when i was researching a different movie and i saw it and i thought we need to watch this movie cool. one of these movies falls into that category as well we watched a movie called which born- one <laughs> <laughs> born, born in flames from 1983 uh reading the description of it it was like we need to watch this yeah. i don't know what this is but we need to watch it mm-hmm. uh, and we watched it with the congress and i have been made to understand that at least three or four people <laughs> At the table, an undetermined number of people. One hundred percent of people <laughs> were not fond of it. I was fond that it was on Amazon Prime, so we didn't have to pay for it. That was great. Uh, but we will be talking about that movie second. We Yay. usually start with the old movie first. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to synopsize the yeah. older movie because it has a lot in common with uh, Punishment Park and Borderline and uh, <laughs> those sort of collagey type movies where. Time is of no consequence. Right. (laughs) Things happen. Things are presented to you in vignettes or... In a sort of documentary style, which also makes it less 
plotty and more vignette Yes, and there's lots. This particular movie has the framework of, at the beginning, like for the first half, there's like an FBI investigation going on. And that sort of is creating the structure for mm-hmm. the rest of the events that are happening. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's also intercut like newscasts and yeah. uh, events happening worldwide or whatever. They're taking the exposition part of the movie that you might otherwise have filled in by Paul Giamatti just talking at length. <laughs> Are you referring to the second movie? Maybe. Let's find out. Um, so Born in Flames is is about a the women's army. Is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. The women's army? Mm-hmm. It's uh, It takes place in a, the future. Of course, it was made in 1983. It takes place in some... indeterminate future that is 10 years after we've had a socialist democratic revolution revolution. Mm -hmm. so our government has been reformed although that is not very (laughs) when you actually look at the stories and the events and the way people are talking it seems like not much has changed yeah yeah that's right which is actually what causes the women's army to be be galvanized yeah how did this movie start what was like the first scene in this movie was it the FBI narration of um, Adelaide's character and how they were following her? And I mean, they introduced the women's army almost from the get-go. Right. Um, and they, Well, it starts with the Democratic... So it's the 10-year anniversary oh, that's of right. the revolution. Oh, yeah, the and there's a newscast about it's been 10 years. Hooray. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. And then cut to Adelaide and they kind of... It's the men in the room... Uh, I guess FBI men in the room. They were summarizing who Adelaide was and describing mm-hmm. her and her life in bullet point with photos. Yeah, and, and Adelaide is the leader of the women's army, or yeah. question mark leader of the women's army, because they were they were saying like, well, is she the leader of the women's army, or is this other lady the leader <laughs> of the women's army? Is it's there hard a leader? To tell. Yeah, and there yeah. was a funny scene where the FBI agent draws a circle on the on a blackboard to describe the structure of <laughs> the women's of army. So he draws one big circle and then He's a bunch like, of this circles. This circle is women. Like, um, it's like a pearl necklace. All the other circles, they overlap a little bit. Yeah. And each one of the, each one of the pearls selects a leader. And then from those leaders, the leader, the, the head leader is selected. Yes. Which I think is kind of a cool system because I think that a lot of people get really into being like the face of something that they forget the something that they're the face of. Mm-hmm. The other uh, thing that goes on at the same time as everything else in this movie is that there are two radio stations. And I don't think they're competing. No, they're pirate yeah. radio stations. Yeah, they're two pirate radio stations with women DJs uh, with, you know, revolutionary messages to their listeners. And there's also uh, Zella, I think is her name, who mm-hmm. is... She was part of the revolution. She's an old government. She's a and lawyer. She was pushed out. Yes, and she was a. She is a lawyer. Or was a lawyer. Is a lawyer. So that character was played by a woman named Florence Kennedy, who was an activist and a feminist activist at the time. Hmm. This movie, like some of the other movies that we've watched in this sort of in, in this, this era, uh, the actors, a lot of them are amateurs, or they may they were in the scene in New York, but they weren't really they weren't. Uh, established in any way mm-hmm. at that time yet the woman who plays isabel is a was a musician and director of 
what it looked like uh, like soft porn or something when <laughs> yeah. I looked at the titles. Oh yeah, not sure what she directed, but she directed four four movies and she was also a musician and she sings in the she performs in the movie. Mm-hmm. That she's one of the DJs, Isabel, and the other DJ is Honey, who is played by Honey. That's <laughs> that's her. Uh, was she a DJ or some or a musician? I couldn't that? find any information yeah. about her. Okay. Possibly not her real name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to say. <laughs> One of the FBI agents had a career, as had an acting career. He died quite young. He died at 45. The guy who looks like Albert Einstein. Is that of. the older guy? Big glasses and like kind of balding with big gray hair. No, the younger up. one. Oh, okay. The younger one. He was in movies that I've seen. He mm-hmm. was in quite, he had like 45 credits to his name before mm-hmm. he died. Uh, the other person in this movie who is an established Hollywood person that we know of is Catherine Bigelow who directed the Hurt Locker she played one of the one of the uh there's this group of three women who are news editors of the socialist youth journal journal, yeah something like that yeah and uh, she plays one of them yeah the movie cuts to them a few times to kind of get their thoughts on things yeah then it's one of the reasons it's hard to synopsize this movie although it does have a story yeah is that it cuts back and forth between so many different things throughout the whole movie and it doesn't sort of tell you what time they're taking place in like are they contemporary with each other like how many days have passed i think it's i think that the movie does show like it's more or less contemporary because the two radio station djs exist at the same time right but what i mean is can you tell me from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie like how much how, time how many passed. how much time had passed oh, like and, is it weeks is yeah it a that's month? what i'm saying is it like, three months yeah I you're see. just like is this the same day that this conversation is having place is the last scene we just watched or is it a week later like mm-hmm. none of that is clear i guess it's like you have to you have to look at the weather yeah, <laughs> right. Right. it's still kind of foggy gray somewhat they're wearing sh- they're wearing sleeveless tops yeah <laughs> um, i was gonna say aside from adelaide and zella I couldn't tell you the names of any of the other characters, but that seems somewhat intentional because it's kind of done documentary style. Nobody introduces right. themselves. Some of them don't have names actually. So, like the news editors, mm-hmm. they that was their, the that's how editors. they're credited as news yeah. editors. Um, Honey is has a name. She's one of the DJs. Yeah. Isabel has a name. She's the other DJ. Uh, but they introduce themselves as part of their. Hey, it's Isabel. Right. And here's my radio show. Right. Uh, most of the characters don't. I mean, it's not conversational, so it's they don't introduce themselves kind of the way they would in a another scripted, movie. Yeah. yeah, right. Or in a, a different style movie. This movie took five years to make, by the way. Wow. Wow. So, uh, it was low budget. The, yes. <laughs> the director who made this movie, her name is Lizzie Borden. That Lizzie Borden. Not yeah. that Lizzie Borden. Her... I had to look that up. And, <laughs> oh, okay, a different person. Her full name is Linda Elizabeth Borden. According to her wiki page, when she was a teen, she changed her name to Lizzie Borden sort of as an act of revolt against her <laughs> her parents. Mm, cool. It was like the only thing that she could think of to do, so she changed her name to Lizzie Borden. I mean, I Borden. guess that's better than murdering them. <laughs> so. It is also, hard to look like, her up, they, If you name her that, like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> that is her name. She just took a middle name. What's weird about Lizzie Borden, and this is not, we aren't synopsizing this movie very well, but um, I remember her. Oh, I really? remember her name in, like, media... Hmm. in the 80s but she made very few movies yeah she made a movie after this a couple years later along the same vein she she had total control over it it was called working girls and it was about sex workers mm-hmm. um, and it used some sex workers as the actors it was a fictional movie but it used some of the women in that uh, profession yeah mm-hmm. 
then I think she might have made another movie. Then she made a movie called Love Crimes, which was a total bomb. Hmm. And uh, I listened to an interview with her, two guys, like from just a couple of years ago, maybe not even that long. Um, they interviewed her about the movie Love Crimes. And the, the way that the interview came about was that they had talked about the movie Love Crimes in their podcast. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, sort of... What was the name of this podcast? Can't remember. Oh. But I will put it in the... And the, and the resources, yeah. yeah. I'll give you a link to the podcast, actually. But it was a really interesting interview because she talked about how when she was making Love Crimes, which stars Sean Young, the oh. woman from Blade Runner, yeah, hmm. who I, I've... It, and there's the other thing. She's notoriously known for being a difficult actress. Mm-hmm. Sure. But in light of in light of certain information that we have now about how mm. about so, how actresses are declared difficult yeah. right yeah right sure. and also harvey weinstein with people <laughs> harvey weinstein was one of the producers of the movie love crimes oh. sure and uh lizzie borden described the whole experience as being extremely traumatic not that she was sexually harassed she wasn't but uh she didn't have any control they kept changing things on her yeah. Uh, it just was a it was an extremely bad experience that she felt traumatized her as a I mean, as a director. That's and, a big part of his reputation too, is I, how much mm-hmm. you know bullying, bullying he does. and force he took over just yeah, all yeah. the creative. She parts tried of it. to take her name off of it because she didn't feel like it was hers, but they would not allow it. So I mean I think that was a large part of Uma Thurman's mm-hmm. response to Harvey Weinstein was just that like he was a horrible person to her for years and years and used his power to make her life bad. So What's the, Born in Flames? What's yeah. about? I feel it's, like you. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I feel like you could summarize that the Born in Flames movie by just like pre come together and then at, and then afterwards they've like come together like both. I don't know, like women in these splintered groups, like they just they just kind of were trying their very best to unite, mm-hmm. and then like part of the movie when I woke up actually because I was sleeping I took, a, I took a quick nap anyway because you loved it so much I love napping anyway like that then there's that other part of the movie where it's like okay they're starting to work together in these splintered groups like now they realize oh let's work together let's figure so, this out did you fall asleep when Adelaide was murdered no I um <laughs> I was awake for that part okay because that's kind of what brought them together was the murder of Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Adelaide goes off to the Sahara Desert for some reason. She's getting she, weapons. Yeah. But she's also with another woman's army there. Yes. International contacts. Right. Well, I guess I, it should be. It is implied that she is buying weapons because the FBI intercept a recording that she has with Zella saying, here's how many submachine guns come in a box, basically. And Zella's like, woohoo. Um, but that's that is the context you get in terms of what exactly she's there for. I mean, that seems like a reasonable interpretation of that conversation. Right. <laughs> if if we take the FBI at their word and all this other stuff, <laughs> then that is why she's there. She's there to purchase weapons, and then on her way back, she is arrested at the airport, and then she dies in jail. And they later explain like she didn't have any weapons on her; they didn't have anything on her at the time. But that is the implication about why she was there and coming back. What I thought was. When they the point that they started coming together, all these women and all these uh, different groups was it wasn't exactly the death of Adelaide that brought them together. It was like, okay, Adelaide's dead. What can we do now? And there was this sort of like brief confusion. And then the two radio stations got attacked. And then that's when they were like, okay, maybe we should work together and maybe we should unite our two radio stations, Regatza 
and what is it honey? phoenix phoenix mm-hmm. phoenix regatta and then i think that was that moment when they were like hey you know what they no one else cares about that adelaide is dead we're all here being all confused and what should we do about it maybe we should just work together mm-hmm. and then that's when i thought was the moment when they started coming together and one of the other things I, I thought was interesting is that up until Adelaide dies, Zella is shown almost always on her bed talking to Adelaide. She's kind of an older woman and she's giving advice, but she is out of it. Uh, she's out of the in, out of being involved. And once Adelaide dies, then she is, again, very active in the women's army and she's calling the mayor and she's trying to kind of build momentum. And the other thing is that um, the news editors uh, insist on you know, publishing that Adelaide was murdered, which gets them fired. And they also join in with the, Mm -hmm. and there's also, there's a, this movie handles a lot of issues that we haven't, we haven't really talked about yet. But like, for example, all three of the news editors are white women. Mm -hmm. And there is a scene where they're being interviewed and it's really clear that they don't under, well, they, there's actually several white women who are conversed with from one point to another who, the women's army is representative is trying to convince them to be part of this new revolution. Yeah. And they're like, but everything's fine. We just had a revolution. Things are really good for us. Right. Because we're rich and white and it's cool and it's totally fine. Everything's great. That's what they're like. Oh, we don't want to join your revolution. You know, you guys are fighting for actual real things, but we would like to stay comfortable in our theories and our ideas of what equality is. Yeah. Some of the benefit us that, that, that are going on is that all of the newscasters are men. Yeah. So every, the media is controlled by men. Uh, men, there's something the, happens. All the government officials are men that yeah. are shown in the movie. The mayor and the president yeah. are both men. And also they are, the women are fighting for jobs, basically. Mm-hmm. They're being forced to, by legislation, to stay home and take care of their children. Something's mm-hmm. happening with child care. Yeah, they're going to get wages for child care is the new, like, legislative push to... Right. Women stay home and you'll get wages for that instead yeah. of competing with men for the limited number of jobs that are available. Um, the movie cuts in, a, like, there's a lot of small vignettes of other stuff that's happening to kind of set the stage. So there are um, scenes of women striking or being activists because they either lost jobs or they're not being they're being mistreated at their jobs there are there's at least one riot where white men are upset that they have lost their jobs and they are rioting there's a scene where there's black men rioting or at least the newscasters describe it as black men rioting there's a couple references to the fact that there's been like increased inflation which has led to a bunch of people losing their jobs like there's a lot of little individual scenes that kind of set for up what the government like the political and the economic situation is in the u.s in whatever year this takes place there are also scenes of women being harassed and in one case a woman uh, an attempted rape she's being raped on the street basically just out in the open and a bunch of women like 10 to 15 women on bicycles come and surround them and blow whistles until the men run away yeah and there's a scene where a woman is being accosted on a subway and two other women basically come up and hassle him and tell him to get lost. Pretty interesting thing to note here too is that the I think it she was a she was a Latina woman mm-hmm. who was being raped on the street versus like a white woman just being kind of like gently maybe not gently being annoyed on the subway and it's like okay 
that's something interesting to note that the difference in the violence towards women, but also that the women's army, the point of them was whatever you're going through, hey, you know, like we'll come and we'll try and stop that from happening. So mm. that was cool. Well, and it was also interesting that the way that these incidents were being filtered back to the public was um, as being described as more uh, violent on the side of the women's army and their intervention than it actually was. They were being described as vigilantes and that they mm-hmm. had, they in turn had assaulted the men as terrorists, right. things like that. When they didn't even touch them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, the men were described as victims in the news report. In on all the, of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what happens when men control the media. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, they're going <laughs> to be like... leads to the end of the movie. Yes. But that, I mean, that, those are kind of the vignettes that set up. Uh, there's been, uh, there was a revolution 10 years ago. The political and economic system has seemed basically unchanged from where we are now. Things are very bad for women and people of color and also just generally bad economically. Um, and that's kind of sets the stage for where this comes from leading up to Adelaide's death. And then the movie ends. No, yeah, they, the, uh, there's a, the movie ends with a woman going to the world trade center mm-hmm. and planting a bomb on the top of it where the radio towers are, mm-hmm. um, to sort of stop the television broadcasts right. and interrupt the media that's distorting all their messaging. Yeah. Because as the movie progresses, Zella become Zella keeps telling Adelaide, we need to get control of the media. And then mm-hmm. she, they actually do like uh, they sneak into something and take control U-Hauls. of the news. <laughs> no, before oh, that. before that they yeah. go to CBS, the local CBS yeah. station, and they take control of the broadcast. And mm-hmm. I I wrote that down because if you did that now, it wouldn't have much of an impact. But mm-hmm. if you did that in 1983, when there was only three stations mm-hmm. plus PBS, you could touch a lot of people if you took control of a news. If you took control of a national broadcast. This was before um, the Max Hedron thing happened, right? Do I don't that? know about the Max Hedron thing. Do you remember that? The, like, I'm going to describe this guy really badly. He was sort of like a plastic mask face kind of guy. Head, Max Headroom? Is it Headroom? Headroom. Yeah, and he sort of was like cool oh, and a, rad. a TV and, show. Yeah. And, yeah, and, like, there yes. was this broadcast that interrupted. <laughs> well... Well, yeah. <laughs> well, somebody look up Max Headroom yeah, and see what year that was, because that right. does seem very 80s. Yeah, it is very 80s. I just, I mean, yeah, I think for some reason I thought it was later 80s, though, because I think I was in elementary school when it happened. I just wanted to say that blowing up the antenna on top of the television is the same ending as They Live, where they blow up the antenna on top of the news building and then everyone can see that they're aliens in control. Of mm. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> the same sort of message, too. Like, hey, the media is controlling you. The things that you see in the TV, like, that's packaged specifically to mess with your mind and make you see things that aren't there. And then mm. if you put on these glasses, then you'll see the things that are actually there. That's really interesting in relation to Congress. Not, the, I'm going to say yeah. the Congress, except more the book that the Congress was not really based on, but a little bit based on. <laughs> Enough that they have to attribute to Yeah, the Futurological Congress. 1985 was the first appearance. Oh, okay. So Max a couple Hedrin, years later. And then his TV show was sometime after but that. When that, like, in our, ooh, power oh, might be oh. going out. Uh-oh. Is no. that, are we still recording? Yeah, we're still. They're trying to silence us. <laughs> <laughs> For people who can't see what just happened, the lights blinked. Or we all had a stroke at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I vote for that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of all have a stroke at the same time, should we talk about the Congress? <laughs> well, are, uh, are we done talking about Born in Flames? 
I really liked it. Let's let's I'm go not, there. I'm not done with talking about Born in Flames, or I guess we can also bring it up when we're comparing it to Congress. Let me look at, let me look at my notes. The Max Headroom thing was 1987, where he interrupted the broadcast Ooh. oh you know what it was interesting that they had the women doing karate so that was every once mm, in a while mm-hmm. i mean this movie was a collage like for real mm-hmm. um and then and there were about three or four scenes where you just saw women uh, practicing karate and i thought that was interesting because the suffragettes did that they mm-hmm. ha- they did martial arts to protect themselves from the police i mean this movie was about feminism and well, i feel like they were learning that scene with them learning karate was came right before them arming themselves with guns like it was supposed to show this progression of like here's what women are doing to actually like i don't know change things yeah there is a scene early on i think it's the interview with the news women where they basically say like the revolution was successful so you should rely on incremental change to make your life better uh and that very quickly is shown to both not, I mean, that that's not going to work. And the women's army uh, recognizes that like incremental change is not going to work for them. And well, they need to be armed. And they only active. realized that after the white man at the socialist youth review said, you guys did something wrong by like siding with those, those like poor black women and those poor Latina women. Like you guys did something really wrong there. They're like, no, we kind of had to take a stand here, for, dude. And like, they realize that, oh, you know, things haven't really changed. And this white man is just here telling us how we're doing our jobs wrong and how we're doing things wrong and trying to make us feel bad for like taking a stand and uniting ourselves with other women. And then that's when I think they realize, huh, like maybe incremental change isn't what's needed. Maybe what's needed is a bold stance. And they'll lose their jobs. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah. they lost their jobs. And then they join the women's army. Yeah, so right. I think like... And I, I really wanted to explore that idea more of like when white feminists actually become feminists. You know what I mean? Like when do white women actually, when do they realize, huh, what people are talking about and what they're pushing for isn't just like a fake thing. Like when do they see that there actually needs to be something that needs to be changed? Like they only saw it because they lost their jobs. So mm-hmm. Does it happen when you lose your job and can't take care of yourself or your family anymore? No, because you have to be able to... Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally touched Nicole's <laughs> um, it, it only happens when they relate to the thing that is happening to others, right? Just like everything mm-hmm. else. The only time... I mean, some, some do, but there's a lot that can't relate to what it, it's like to be somebody who's not white. And so until they can relate to what it's like to be somebody who's not white, they can't really have a full view of what it means to actually be for women, right? And then that thing that happened was them losing their jobs is what helped them to relate to other women who that's already well, happened. I also to think them. it was Adelaide dying, you know, and seeing how the cover-up of that was sketch. Mm. I mean, I think... Personally, that the movie accurately reflects how it is in real life, which is just that there's a lot of structures in place to support white people and raise them up above other people. And one of the things that takes that, as a white person, that kind of takes that away or makes it maybe can sometimes help a white person recognize that, like, 
the structures in place are all that are there, that there are structures in place is that for those white women in the movie, uh, they had benefited from the structure up to a point. And the moment that they kind of crossed over this line, the power structure that is above them, one more step, just crushed them down just like anybody else. Like they reported that Adelaide had been murdered and were immediately fired because the structure that had, had raised them up for so long also has its limits for how far it's going to take somebody who's still disadvantaged. And I'm not way. sure if we said this, but the reporting was that she committed suicide. Right. Yeah. Not, and they not weren't, that she was murdered. And they weren't, I guess they were the women who were working at the Socialist Youth Review. They didn't like that that they were being kind of forced into reporting what wasn't the truth. Right. Well, the the newspaper headline that you see in the movie that someone's buying says suicide or assassin question mark mm. and it's i think that the implication in there is that they kind of left it open and then were fired as a result i think i shared in adelaide's frustration when she was trying to talk initially to the women at the socialist youth review saying like hey why don't you guys join the women's army like join up with us and and be part of our cause and then they're telling her like you know, oh, no, you know, things just need to, things are good for us. Like, things are cool. Things are better now. And if we change it up, then it's just going to, you know, dismantle all this good change that's already happened. Then Adelaide says something about, like, I am so frustrated that you guys can't see the structures that are keeping you in place. Like, I just, I felt how stressed out she was that, that, that those women were totally fine with buying into this lie that, they were, I guess, benefiting from. And I guess if you benefit from a lie, you want to say it's a truth, but it sucks. I mean, it's easier to benefit. It's not even easier to benefit. It is easier to feel that you benefit, even if you don't, because then you don't have to do anything. Like they were not, they did not benefit from the structure ultimately. They just didn't recognize it until it was too late. Right. Which I feel like is a big part of what happens right now. A lot of what was in this movie is very contemporary to our current social situation yeah i think there was a there was a scene where we were watching some protesters and they had their signs or whatever mm -hmm. and i was like oh i've seen all those signs like last year at you know whatever march yeah it's not a it's not a satire it's not a science fiction in mm -hmm. any particular way because there's really nothing the fact in fact it was unclear what the social revolution had changed at all well i mean what's weird about it is she predicted a lot of things Mm -hmm. accurately yep in this movie although i'm sure they were existent in 1983 as well so i don't sure. know if how much their predictions except they are kind of the fact that it was a socialist democracy d democratic revolution sure. and yet didn't work out uh i mean the the idea of a white men's riot and a black men's riot and the way they were reported is exactly how things are represented in the media right now. But I don't right. think that was necessarily predictive as much as nothing just, has changed. Just reflective of <laughs> right. what it was. Yeah. I'm signaling to Nicole that I agree with her. Yeah, but you can see that also right now. Yeah. It is continually available for... Well. So in, in relation to these two movies, I read a number of things which didn't really have to do with the movies specifically. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, I don't know the history of feminism, so I was looking at that a little bit. And I uh, watched, I listened to a podcast, uh, the second ep the second season of Slow Burn, which is about the Clinton Lewinsky uh, scandal. Mm -hmm. I gotta find a better way of referring to that. The Clinton uh, 
Abuse of power. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, the Clinton impeachment and all the things related to it. Yes. I don't know how else you... It doesn't need to be about her. That, and uh, I was reading a book about uh, the Riot Girl movement, which happened in the 90s, and this movie feels like the like very close to the Riot Girls, in that there's these small conclaves of women who don't really have a lot of power, but they are coming together and they're trying. And some of their philosophies or some of their... Their issues were the same. Like they talked a lot about sexual harassment and slut shaming and all of that, mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. And it it feels like one of the other things I have is a is a Time Life magazine from 1971, uh, and on the cover it says Eve was framed. And <laughs> then there's articles about the feminist movement in the 1970s, and you can definitely see progress from there because that was all about the article that that is in there. Is all that old stuff about how well women are women were always weaker, and so uh, you know, and that's why men dominate them, and blah blah blah. It was a bunch of crap. Well, anyway, it's just like this continuum from the seventies, which was which is considered, I guess, the second wave of feminism. The first wave was suffragette su- suffragists and suffragettes. Suffrage, uh, women's suffrage. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. That was the first wave. The second wave was the seventies when we were trying to get the equal rights amendment. The third wave is the 90s. That's when they voted, I don't know, four women into Congress during the women's... Oh, the year of the women. The year of the women, mm-hmm. yeah, um, after Clarence Thomas was confirmed. And it feels like, you know, we're in a new wave now with the mm-hmm. Me Too movement, although the amount of progress is just like... It's incremental, uh, you might say. You might say. Barely, <laughs> barely noticeable. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if... Like these movements, if they were led differently, would we be still sitting here today saying things are incremental? Well, it seems like the most successful one was the suffragettes or suffragists because they got what they were shooting for. Mm. They wanted the vote. They got the vote. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, "Okay, we got the vote in the 70s. They didn't get the Equal Rights Amendment Mm -hmm. in the 90s. We got a very small number of women into Congress. Mm. We've been, we were more successful this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we're at 25%, I think. Is that right? Something like that. It yeah. should be 50%, but we're at 25%, the highest ever. Mm-hmm. I really liked how in this movie they made the comment, or someone made a commentary about how the more they, they needed more representation of people in the... What is it? They were shooting for a quota so that the people who run the country... Um, could reflect better the population that they're supposed to govern. Right. They said they wanted quotas that reflected what the population actually was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really cool thing to point out, and that that's kind of happening right now. You know, you've got you've got women of color and women of color of different religions in Congress holding these positions of power, and I think that's cool, and I'm excited to see what they do, what they're yeah. doing right now. I mean, I think... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is awesome. Um, they're always going to be limited by the limitations of our Congress, system. congressional system, which has prevented a lot of people from doing a whole lot for forever. Well, I think Elizabeth Warren um, just brought a bill together. I forget who the co-sponsors are, um, two men whose names I'm blanking on, but um, that is sort of to redesign corporate structure Mm-hmm. So that they are no longer um, only morally responsible to shareholders and that part of their charters, if they are companies that make over a billion dollars a year, then mm-hmm. part of their charters are that 
um, they're also responsible for the well-being of their employees and that they have to let the employees um, elect 40% of the board hmm. for the companies. That would be um, interesting. Yeah, because it's a really big disparity in terms of where those profits go and mm -hmm. how much influence those companies have on the lobbying side based on mm. the philosophy that companies are only beholden to shareholders. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> I hope that it passes through our broken system. <laughs> Succeeds. The president won't sign that. Well, he, yeah, he if might we not. got enough majority, <laughs> he wouldn't have a choice. That's true. He, he won't because there isn't enough of a majority, but still, we're there. Well, but the, they were saying they were optimistic about it because in terms of polling, it's one of the most popular oh, I, concepts, <laughs> um, even among Republicans. And mm -hmm. then they pulled it in congressional districts as well. And district-wide, it's favored in all districts. And it's because it's presented as a change to their charter versus a tax. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that sort of like socialist language out of it, then people are more comfortable with it. And it's more popular as a policy than any other policy like you know free college and things like that so i don't know i think it could actually get bipartisan support that'd be cool i'm very pessimistic <laughs> <laughs> every day <laughs> yeah right increasingly pessimistic so we should talk about the congress Woo! and we can still talk about born in flames mm -hmm. as as they overlap mm -hmm. um I, my guess is we're, it's not going to be quite the positive feminist <laughs> message i think that they were really trying to show this is how shitty it can be for women. Yeah, I, know, I would. Didn't, I don't think it was about women. I it think didn't it didn't feel like it was about women. No. I would have said it was about women. I think it was about women in Hollywood, at least from the first half of the movie. Like the whole movie is just her being told who she is and what kind of life she leads by men who are like trying to push her around to like do things that are advantageous for themselves. So it's like okay, like. This movie is all about what maybe society does to women. Should like, we synopsize it? I guess we should. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How do you synopsize Congress? Oh, here we go. Pre-cartoon. This, this one has a plot. Yeah. 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 Uh, so this movie stars Robin Wright as a version of herself. Robin Wright. in the. It starts in modern day. Well, no. It's, it's a little, little bit in the, future. in the future. They have technology we don't have. So Robin Wright is a somewhat down-on-her-luck actress. Uh, she lives with her two children in a airplane hangar just outside of an airport. <laughs> As one is wont to do. Her older daughter is, I'm just going to say, is a little bit of a rebel is how the movie would frame it. In yeah. With her handcuff necklace She's a revolutionary. Hair. Yes, and then her younger child, her son has a to me indeterminate illness it's a real disease i looked it up i forget what oh it's is called. it yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like usher's disease or something they said like the that. name of it usher's yeah they syndrome. did usher syndrome that's yeah. a real disease what is it you slowly go blind and deaf okay because there's some other stuff that happens to him as a result of this disease that did not that seemed more thematic than real Anyway, she lives she lives there. Harvey Keitel is her agent, and then he says the aid you know, your career has failed because you were a difficult actress to work with, but we've gotten this one great big offer. It's the last offer you'll ever get if you will go to Miramount Studios and listen to their proposal. They'll it's I don't even know if he says you'll you'll be rich, but he basically says this is your last shot to ever do yes. anything. 
Um, and she thinks it over. She goes and hears the proposal. And the proposal is they will scan her and make a digital recreation of her for appearing in films um, at you know, as a, a digital version of Robin Wright. And as a part of this deal, she can no longer ever act again or do any sort of performance. Uh, and she says, to hell with this idea. I don't want to do this. Uh, she goes back home. She spends some time with her family, Harvey Keitel, and some... I think she goes to see Paul Giamatti with her son. In the oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, like, your son is super sick, and he's only going to get even sicker. And I'm an, I'm a ears, nose, and throat doctor, but I'm going to tell you all about your son's blindness. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you about what the film industry's like in yeah. the future. Because I know the, about these things. <laughs> the, the other thing that is significantly said is that in 20 years, they'll know whether he's going to go completely deaf. Did they say that? Because I found that scene just... Yeah, yeah, he, he says okay, we won't great. know until he's thirty-five or something. Yeah, he like gave that. it a time frame that was great. like twenty years. Perfect. That explains a lot. I think about it was slightly. It was later. a little bit longer than twenty years. Well, yeah, it would have I, to be. I, th- I don't think he's fifteen yet in the movie, but yeah. And that was the scene where I was like, "Is this a real disease?" Because he's do- they're doing a thing where Paul Giamatti is saying words and <laughs> having him re- repeat back, and the son Adam, I think, is repeating back. Aaron. Uh, Aaron. Aaron. Repeating back homonyms, I think. He's yeah. Well. No, no, he's just repeating back wrong words. But they sound similar. They're yeah. like rhyming wrong words. This this scene actually is interesting because, like, he'll say table and he'll say unable or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Paul Giamatti gives this little speech about how he, he's he's thinking like people will think in the future about like, what movies will be like. Right. You'll just create whatever you want. Mm-hmm. People will give you data and. You'll just use that data however you want to make whatever story you want. Use your imagination? Wow, how revolutionary. (laughs) God, I hated this movie. What what is interesting about that is, okay, so this movie is... We're not not even to the weird part yet. (laughs) This is still like the first third that's boring. But but I'm pretty sure that Mm -hmm. that particular scene takes from part of the book. So there's there's a book called The Futurological Congress Mm -hmm. by Stanislaw Lem. And in part of that book, what the book is about is... The government using chemicals to control people, you know, to keep people under control. Yeah. And there's also a huge overpopulation of of the earth that they can't get under control. And that's one of the reasons they have to control people with chemicals. But there is a doctor, like a professor in the story, who is a good friend of the main character, mm-hmm. whose name I can't remember right now, but he's a recurring character in Stanislaw Lem novels. He, he studies words. And how words will evolve over time to the point where he starts predicting what, what, what words we're going to have. You know, 20 years from now, we'll have this word and that word. Okay. And it will mean this and that thing. It's a really cool part of the book. <laughs> I can't by any means. <laughs> and that's what you think this is. Right. I think this is a reference to that. There's also a couple mm-hmm. scenes here interspersed where Robin Wright is with Aaron and Aaron loves flying kites and he loves flying kites really close to the airport which makes the airport people mad at him um, and he gives some just uh, he's very excited about airplanes and specifically kites and he talks about the Wright brothers because he he's a right person <laughs> and then the mom's like no son we can't fly kites anymore especially over this fence but then hey let's actually fly kites and like do it near the fence <laughs> just for fun in like the next scene yeah it was really weird i was really nervous about that. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> like things are gonna go bad oh no nothing happened. nothing happened. i was really anticlimactic <laughs> so she so she meets the doctor the doctor says your son's disease may be progressing but we won't know um and also he sees things like movies will be in the future 
<laughs> then she goes home. The uh, Harvey Keitel and uh, another guy, researcher guy from <laughs> he's, a lawyer. he's a lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Okay, he's there to talk on kind of behalf of the what this process. He's there is to like. help her write the contract so that she doesn't have to give up things she doesn't want to give up. Yeah, gotcha. So then they all he shows them a video of two actors acting out a bad scene where one of them's a digital actor and he's like see this could be you uh and then the daughter who earlier had been completely against this idea is like that's a cool idea you should do it mom and everyone's <laughs> like mom you should do it this is cool everyone thinks you should do but it but the only reason why she actually agrees to it is because she hears from the doctor that her son's condition is only going to get worse and right. she just needs the money to like what I thought is this what was this what it actually was? Like, I think it's implied, she, but it's not stated. And it should have been stated. Like she made such a stance against it. It was a dramatic stance against this whole thing. Yeah, she's like, go to hell. Yeah, go to hell. Both of you guys are trying to sell me this stupid deal, and then she goes back, being like, oh well, let's do it. <laughs> it's all good. Now. Well, I think yeah, I think the the point was that she was sacrificing because she wanted to at least spend that time with her kids. And then you know she sold the rights. She would have the money. Mm-hmm. She could just solely be looking after her son mm-hmm. instead of having to continue to you know find jobs in the meantime and spend time away from and him have money to take care of her son yeah. and his condition so she goes she talks to the i think he's a producer at marimount the guy he's some muckety muck yeah who's who appears a lot of times in the movie uh jeff brown is jeff that brown. the actor's name no but that's like the name in of that jeff something and larry david it was the same guy jeff brown it's not the same. It's actor. not the same guy. It's not based no, on him, I but they have the same name. It's, it's the actor who was in Wonder Woman. His name is Jeff Green. Oh, Jeff Green. Jeff in, Green. Yeah, Jeff Green. That's in Larry. Da- that's in Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. That's his name in Jeff that. Garland. Oh, but no, isn't in the show. His name is Jeff Green. <laughs> Susie Green. Anyway, maybe I'm just turning <laughs> over. <laughs> uh, she goes and talks to Jeff, and uh, he says, and she says, "I won't do." Porn, I won't do science fiction. And then they have and this no big, Holocaust. Oh, no Holocaust. I don't want to be a Nazi. They have this long, horrible monologue about science fiction Ugh, movies. So wink, and wink, how meta. Robin Wright should be in a science fiction movie, but she would never be in one. But she's in one now, guys. Oh, God. It's so, funny. so it's unbearable. <laughs> uh, but they, she signs it and she says, But I, if I'm signing it, I need you to do the scanning right now. Uh, so they take her over to a scanning place where she talks with the cinematographer who says, everybody's been laid off from cinematography. They don't do that anymore. I was just happy I was able to get this job so I could still kind of do something. I can still work with actors. They put her in this big yeah, dome. Yeah, in the yeah. dome. That like looked <laughs> like awesome. a jungle gym from when I was a kid. Yeah, and it's but like it's a ev- camera at every angle. Yeah. It's a geodesic dome <laughs> made of uh, bars of metal and with lots and lots and lots of lights and cameras. I liked it. It was, it was cool. No, that, that was, was a great cool. scene. I like that scene. There's no. Visually, this movie that has a was lot the going only for. good scene where um, who, Harvey, Harvey Keitel is telling her the story and she's like emotionally reacting to it to get all the shots and that was cool. Yeah, although I hate end it of list. There was one more <laughs> monologue from somebody just going on and on about the film industry. Yeah, but yeah. it just it just, showed her reg range. I thought. It was yeah, Robin Wright's great. Harvey Keitel had a couple of speeches in this movie. That was one where he talks about how uh, he was her he. He became an agent because he could un- he could un- see people's flaws and then somehow turn that into money. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he and she was his perfect flawed flawed <laughs> position. Right. And then over time, he realized, oh, and then she, her son got sick, which pulled her away from him, which made him very sad and made him so realize he, loves her. he wasn't just her agent. He loved her. Mm-hmm. And then when then she, when he oh no, she had her son. She went away. Her mm-hmm. son got sick. She had to come back to get yeah. money, and so. 
it was a good speech. No, it was great. Harvey Keitel's great. Robin Wright's great. Dude, though, but like all of the speeches and monologues were from the men in this movie and Robin yeah. Wright's character. It's supposed to be a movie about Robin fucking Wright, but she's only like one or two words or like half a fucking sentence. And it's like, okay, this movie is like just men trying to tell her how it's like and how she is and what life is like and everything. And it's right. just so like angering it's just so upsetting that like what? this whole this whole movie is just all about how like men just kind of ruin it's so meta oh, well, that way. It, it illustrates the difference between a movie directed and yeah. written by a man right. but starring a woman mm-hmm. and a movie mm-hmm. written and directed by a woman full of women. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was gonna say, like mm-hmm. I think Snaps. the guy who did this really had his own story he was trying to tell and he has clearly an axe to grind with the movie business in yep, general sure. like they were the villains like this mm-hmm. whole yeah. miramax paramount conglomerate that is miramount that apparently runs the world which is real weird but we'll get yeah, there um, right. well yeah. and they, one of the other speeches by harvey Keitel is about how is basically about how women are treated in the industry and you're right robin wright never He's, gave a speech yeah oh but it's so meta if she never oh, gives a no, speech no she did give a speech she talks. She, I mean, she gives. She gives like a three sentence speech, right? And it is a very ineffective. Never it is again. not a great speech for like the buildup. I was so mm-hmm. excited. I was like, "Oh, here it comes." No. Yeah, she's, yeah, but that's later. Uh, oh. But that's in the weird part. <laughs> so she has her photographs taken. She's been scanned, and then so the contract was limited to twenty years. Yes, it was supposed to be for. It was a lifetime contract, but then they talk about how well in Lawyered. France, in France, a lifetime is only twenty years. For some reason. <laughs> uh, I think at this point, the movie... No, then, in the Middle East. That's what they said. Oh, right. In the Middle Shortly East. after oh, that... Great. That's even she, worse. It is. It's so much worse. Well, the director is from the Middle East. Yeah. and he, Still but, worse. But the like guy responds to it. He's like, 20 years for murder? Okay, that makes oh, sense because it's from the, the Middle, Middle East. East. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, then, so it, it, after this, she is driving to Abrahama. Okay. So then it cuts. You get a, a card, title card that says 20 years later. Which, by the way, was that like a biblical reference? Abraham. Yeah, I think I so. I would think so. Like, what is Abraham? Well, Abraham, know. like you know, oh. like the biblical. Well, there's like, a lot of Garden yeah. of Eden yeah. stuff. Well, there's like, some biblical. It's very. Reference. It feels very Old Testament. Isn't Abraham the one that is like, hey, you know, I've got these two sons, and God is telling me to like kill one yeah. of the sons yeah. so that I can show that I believe in God by killing one of my sons, almost, and then God is like, oh no, never mind, you don't have to kill your but son. But like, we're in in general, we're all supposed to be descendants of Abraham. So, like, the fact that Abrahama was, like, this m- almost, like, Mecca that they were all going to. Oh, And Abrahama okay. is owned by the studio, Miramount. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it really makes you think. Uh, <laughs> so, she's, it's 20 years later, Robin Wright is, looks a little, she has old person makeup on a little bit. She's driving a convertible through the desert. She still looks, still great. looks great. She stops at a toll booth where the Oh, guys, no, it's like a guard booth. Yeah, but it's in the center of the road. Yeah. In an empty road through the desert. Like no, but that's like when you're, when you're like entering um, like a gated community. Like mm-hmm. that's what it was. It was set up with like the road in and the guard booth and the road out. So like it makes sure like you can enter. Mm. It's funny because like this movie is set in the future, but they have this like this character mm-hmm. doing this like kind of a robot Very could be doing thing. that. Like, yeah, this, a robot could be giving her the ampule that turns her into a cartoon to enter the cartoon world. <laughs> if you've not seen this movie, this is going to sound like true insanity in it a second. Really, it's if very... you have seen this movie, it is still true insanity. It's true. It's just like, oh, such nonsense. Every scene is loosely stitched together. And then there's this cartoon world. And it's just, in, I mean, visually, yeah. put this movie on mute. 
And yeah, just that's wa- what it is. Like, watch it on mute because it's probably no, better that I way. I say fast forward to the cartoon section, put mm. it on yeah, mute. Yeah, because the first third is real boring. Oh, so, so It's not just boring, it's bad. The it is terrible. Futurological Congress, the book most that doesn't take place in toontown in the first half of this movie is not from the future does not really have a whole lot in common with the future logic yeah Congress. i would assume once they get to cartoon land there's a lot of stuff that okay. overlaps so anyway this yeah the guard tells her that or reminds her i guess that abrahama is a restricted animated zone <laughs> and so you have to inhale this drug yep that makes you think you're animated so you're animated. That's it. That's, and that's the whole explanation you get. And and there's no like, but is she still driving her car? Like, how can she drive her car? Is there a parking lot she pulls over into? Like, none of this Doesn't is explained. Matter. She just yep. immediately is animated and she's driving down a rainbow road and weird things are going mm-hmm. on. And then she like hits the end of the road and a cliff happens and then she her car goes down the cliff and then she's in the water and then she's on a boat and... None of it is making any sense, guys. I'm being as clear as the movie is. It's true. She is. <laughs> she, so, she goes through Toontown, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are there. One of the, one of the things about Toontown, it, the animation is beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. great. Yeah. It it's, great. it's hand-drawn. It's an homage to the... Like the Betty Boop style. Y- y- yeah. Yes. yes. 30s. Uh, the Fleischer Studios. Yeah, it's very like mm-hmm. Fleischer Who Studios. Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. as good. It's Fleischer Studios. They did Betty Boop and they did Popeye. It's yeah. th- They're the basis for what this animation looks like. The it animation is beautiful great colors so one way so her taking an ampule and turning it into cartoon is sort of reflective of the futurological congress the book because uh, towards the end of the book things have gotten so out of hand with the chemical control that there's a point in this story where she she's in cryogenic sleep for 20 years or whatever something that happens to the main character in the futurological congress as well and when he wakes up in the future Things have deteriorated so badly that people are basically that cartoon world is kind of what they're living in. That's a good just like in this movie. It's kind yeah. of a good a good way to represent what was happening in that book. I don't yes. know about the movie. But I in the thought book, it was a good way to represent the psychedelia of everybody's on drugs now. I don't think any other part of this movie works at all. <laughs> well, so she goes to this town and she's at this hotel. Owned and, by Miramount. It's like the Miramount Hotel. Yeah, and she's supposed to be this big guest who's going to give a speech at this, I don't know. I, I'm shrugging because I don't yeah. know. The, the Futurological really Congress. Congress. But it's like oh, they're, they called they, it the Futurist Congress, Yeah, actually. but they're giving like a broadcast. Like they're, it's like a It's like the president of Miramount is going to talk about But they're, something. yeah, they're right, talking because to they're, people. They are um, introducing this new form of entertainment where... You won't so, even have yeah. So your ampule will now allow you to be to, anyone you want you to can do the thing that Paul image. Giamatti talked about when right. he was. Wow. And so at this point, uh, we learn that Robin's character has been digitally used to create this super popular um, sci-fi <laughs> show called yeah. Rebel Robot Robin or Rebel yeah, Robin Triple Robot. Yeah, Triple R. So people use the ampule to sort of change themselves into her. You know, because right. they want to be her. Or they can be Jesus, or they can be yeah, there's any a lot celebrity. Of, there's a lot of cartoons of celebrities. A yeah. lot of religious figures and celebrities. And pretty yeah, much pop culture ones, yeah. And Tom Cruise shows up. Yeah, yeah so apparently fun. Tom Cruise is one of the only actors that's still But he wasn't an in actor. the movie. No. <laughs> it was not played by Tom Cruise. <laughs> but it was a pretty big nod to who it was. It was, yeah, very yeah. obvious the, who they were referencing. But yeah, so she's staying in her hotel room, 
and like it goes dark but she's talking to some sort of computer voice mm-hmm. that's called like room service or whatever and she's like is is it dark or is this in my mind and they're all philosophical and they're like well it could be both because isn't everything in your mind <laughs> when like, you really think about if, it, if this Robin. is what you want to see if you want to see the darkness that's what you'll see and so she orders room service and like a hologram makes her eggs and then she is disgusted and doesn't eat them and pass like then she, she looks like, in the mirror and she's old yeah, and then she's hits not her head. old and she, she has also, a dream she like passes she out makes on a the candle out of her butter yeah, which, yeah. which happens in the book <laughs> and then she like talks Great. into the void and is like okay you can have my rights for longer just like stop playing with my head and nothing responds and she just passes out on the she bathroom has, floor she has a dream where she performs the song and this Gestapo run mm-hmm. in and kill everybody or the Gestapo her. led by Jeff Green. Yeah. yeah but the then she wakes producer. up and maybe it was real, maybe it wasn't. Except later he references it. Yeah. yeah. It's all true. Yep. But then also that also wasn't true. I don't know. And also you have seen slouching around in the crowds of celebrities this slouchy, sad looking guy who just wanders around. You see him, the yeah. very first scene, crowd scene, I noticed him. Mm. And then later, they become friendly with each other, and I don't remember how. And it's uh, John Hamm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he rescues her. So, okay, so she's at this but before, presentation. They're sitting at a table together before he rescues her, though. Were they? Mm-hmm. They were having a conversation. Uh, no. No, I, I thought that was... Like, Later, no, because all, all she does when him, she goes, that's much later. yeah, that's much later. Oh, does he? Okay, because first she goes, she, she just goes to her hotel out. room and then she goes and gives the speech. That's like it. Yeah, she has dinner with him later, and at the end of the dinner conversation, it's you can escape the animated reality right. if you take this pill, but that'll oh, be the last yeah. you ever see of it. Oh, yeah. that's at the end. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's towards the end. So she's at this congressional presentation, and she's supposed to talk about how great <laughs> everything <laughs> is, and instead she's like wake up sheeple they're, it's bad they're, it's bad and everybody you want to turn yourself into is a person and don't you feel bad that they no longer exist because you want to be i don't know it yeah, didn't make any sense you could have spent all speech. the money you spent developing these chemicals enabling you to obscure the world on a cure for my son's disease yeah on improving the world instead like mm-hmm. and, and they boo her and they boo her <laughs> boo, robin Wright, boo yeah and then then an assassin <laughs> shoots the, the guy the president of miramount who shows up later and is fine uh yeah because death isn't really death or something i don't know but so then, then she, but that's when they're attacked yeah. by the rebellion who don't believe in the ampules <laughs> but i don't know how they're there <laughs> or like like in the future God. ampules are made of glass like in olden times yeah. and people say True. ampules <laughs> yeah. no one says ampules oh. so like as they're being attacked this oh so first she's escorted out of the building roughly by the police the Miramount police, because they have their own yeah, security. Yeah, of course. They, I mean, it's the future. And as she's outside, that's when this attack starts. And, like, you know, There's, they shoot the guy. They bomb up. the hotel. He comes and puts, like, this balloon around her head <laughs> so right. that she can breathe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> it sounds like a soap bubble. Because, to protect her because from the, the, the Miramount people are, like, then gassing the crowd. With chemicals that will make them stay forever cartoony yeah. or and something. And then he, like, takes her to the basement of the hotel where, like more rich well john ham shows up no that's the guy john yes. ham's the one who puts and the she sees her. her daughter possibly briefly yeah. as a revolutionary and then she's like of i course. think that's my daughter and he's like it makes sense that she would you know, join <laughs> yeah. us and she's like do you know me dude like who are you stranger <laughs> yeah and he's like more on that to come and i think we're <laughs> supposed to, to be intrigued but it's just creepy instead <laughs> yeah it's hey. horrible oh god so yeah so then 
She's in the like weird in the sewer, sewer <laughs> that like the everybody's. Rich they're all floating around like it's a pool though, uh-huh. and that's when the Jeff Green guy comes again and like takes her away. Well, she falls asleep <laughs> yeah. with John Hamm and has another dream where she kills herself, I think, or she something happens to her. Then she wakes up and John Hamm's gone, and Jeff Green. In a scuba suit. Yeah, he ropes down and is like, we got to get you out of here, Robin. No, but don't they ask her, like, aren't you Robin Wright? And she's like, yeah. As if, like, they can't recognize her, which was all sorts of weird. There's a lot of references to people being able to recognize each other or not, and it's never really... But then for some reason, she's in trouble. And instead of, I don't know, letting her go, they're like, guess we have to execute you. Yep. (laughs) But then she wakes up from that. No, because she's like, like, they're like, how do you want to do it? And she's like, a bullet to the head. Just one. Make but it then, quick. like, she wakes up from that, and then you see John Hamm rubbing her head balloon. See, she wakes up from that, she but then she the- gets executed because then it's 20 years later after she's been yeah. executed, and they're like, you survived. No, because uh... what they said was she was apparently overdosed on the chemicals, and what she was seeing as still the cartoon wasn't really the cartoon. Of and course. that the people who were coming to rescue her, mm. that's who she, they were like, she must be suicidal. She said, put a bullet in my brain. So she was like, having trouble getting to the real world makes perfect sense so that, you just have to know all the pieces that happens in the book yeah there's and they're a like point, we can a... only fix this disease if we cryogenically freeze right. her for maybe 70 years an indeterminate number of so in the book he has a series of hallucinations and he always knows he's out of the hallucination when he's back in the basically the sewer which is where they're hiding the the hotel is attacked mm-hmm. they go underground into the sewer but they have all been uh, affected by hallucinogenic drugs and so he repeatedly has these hallucinations. And at one point, some scuba divers show up and do kill him. And he does, and he ends up in the hospital. They describe that he has been stuck in hallucinations and won't believe that what re- that reality is real anymore. Mm-hmm. And so then they freeze him. In the end, it's all hallucination, even that part. Gotcha. It's like Brazil. Right. Spoiler if you haven't seen oh, Brazil. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen a movie from the 80s, some of it's a dream. But yeah, so... Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, then, then she's reunited with that guy, and that's when they have the dinner conversation, and he's like, I got this other well, ampule. No, well, that's we, 20 years later. Right, because she, like, after they've cryogenically frozen her, they slowly wake her up, starting right. in the 80s wait, but we with Grace to, Jones. Wait, she's still, <laughs> yeah, a, car- she's still a cartoon. Yes, no, no, all this, this is all a cartoon. Yeah. It's future cartoon. And they're like, we can only slowly integrate you back into the real world, because otherwise you'd freak out so we thought the most comforting thing would be the 80s where ronald reagan is like a news anchor and well, grace jones is the is nurse her, yeah <laughs> so er- earlier in the sewer john ham is there and he explains i was a animator who worked on the robin wright project and i needed to know how to animate you so i researched you so thoroughly and learned all about your history that i've fallen in love with you it's and so creepy. i'm in love everything about you and i'm invested in you and robin wright's like great i'm into that too <laughs> well, that's she's, cool she's like you don't know me you know her and he's like no it's the same fucking thing and she's it's like okay like, uh, but then she's like yeah I guess guess you're right. You made a good point. They spend a whole day or maybe weeks. I don't know what the time frame is, but of like them just flying over the town. He like shows her what this like 
ampule world is. Yeah. Where you can become anybody. And then they yeah. they end the day with like a sunset doing it on an airplane. Yeah. Cartoon porn. Cartoon yeah. porn. Yeah. And then they go out and to And they dinner. like turn into flowers and yeah. birds. Uh, well, and, they, uh, he's like, you can become anyone you or do anything you want. And so they go to the, the druggist and he's like, I want to experience Usher syndrome. And he's like, okay, uh, that'll be really weird. And then it's just like every other part of the movie. And I'm like, is this... They don't go blind. No, they no, they get wings. No, they get, yeah. yeah. So I guess it's great. I don't know what the movie's trying to say about this. I don't... Well, uh, then they say that it was all in her mind and that, like, she was creating it, so maybe she doesn't understand what the syndrome is. I'm and just she was struggling. sort of projecting. Well, the other part... <sighs> made, like, something just occurred to me. So her son really likes to build airplanes and fly mm-hmm. kites. Yeah, yeah. And they do that. And so maybe... That's why when she experiences Usher syndrome, she develops wings and she flies. Well, then why would the druggist be like, oh, (laughs) if you want to, I guess. Well, because I think he probably thought it would be something. I really do think she was romanticizing it. I mean, the whole place where they go to is the airplane yard animated where they, yeah where her and house like is. and they fly the kite and then the kite crashes into the airplane and the airplane crashes oh, into that's more at airplanes the, that's at the end and it's like burning yeah that's the very end though no no no, no that's before she goes into go the real dinner. world yeah yeah they she's definitely. in the real world because that's when he offers her the one he's like okay if you really want to go back yep. to the real world here's this here's my yeah. fake here's tooth my... with a the, I my severance package from Miramount was this <laughs> fake tooth that undoes the drugs oh, like right. the Nazis had, yeah. and you can take it. But if you take it, you'll never be able to come back, and you won't be able to see me again. And I don't want you to see me as the real you, but I love you. And she's like, "Well, I love you too. Why yeah. wouldn't I? Let me give you, let me take that tooth." Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then she does go back to the like unanimated world. It's sad. And, and she tries to find her son, and she goes back to the ENT doctor, Paul Giamatti. And, and she rides a kite up to Paul oh, Giamatti. It's all nonsense. It's how airplanes... <laughs> to a Zeppelin. It's like the air... These are the airports oh, yeah, of the future. Oh, yeah, because everybody... Because apparently the future is so bad that everybody lives in these, like, floating cities. No, I think... <laughs> I mean, they are Zeppelins. They the show the Zeppelins. Everything is so bad that everybody on Earth lives in cartoon land, and the people who know that the world is a terrible place, live in the blimps, like the doctors yeah. and the mm-hmm. people who can't be under the the effect of the drugs all live in the blimps up above. Because so if they were down yeah. on the ground, they might be affected by but the drugs. But there were definitely some like poor people just out on the street looking haggard. and No, mm-hmm. that was after she took... That's what she saw. Yeah. In they the re- were cartoons mm-hmm. to themselves. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Oh, you mean... <laughs> what you're saying is they're, they're in the ampule world just like laying in the street. Yeah. Yes. They, I gotcha. The ladies gotcha. in the hazmat suits assumedly are right. also under the effects of No, the, the people in the hazmat suits, they're not. Well, why were they just being like, uh, go to the Zeppelin? That was the lady who didn't... That was a lady in a hazmat suit who didn't have her gas mask on. So uh, she was being affected. She was drugged out. Right. She was drugged out. So yeah, so Paul Giamatti's all like, hey, it'd be super cool, like... If you had gotten here six months ago, because <laughs> your son left, he waited so long he waited for you. and he deteriorated. And then I was like, I might die. And I'm the only one who's left around to take care of you because your mom's in this like what chemical coma. Your, your and, son has this horrible regressive disease. Within 40 to 50 years, he might lose his sight. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that like that had been the time that she was like under so the first 20 years right, happened and then, ugh, what's anyway. going on for him in all that time it's like well he's still not blind 50 years later like, he yeah. lived a long life no and then he like really like held out from going into this world where 
he could just hallucinate and do whatever and see things again and he for some reason is like brave and held out for and his then, beloved mother but like yeah. brave and held out but he wasn't actually struggling if like no, he just lives he in with the yeah, doctor he wasn't yeah. struggling through much like he was somewhat starting to go blind <laughs> right. like so she's like oh i guess i have to go back in but nobody knows like because once you're in there, you can be anything. So it's not like she can find him. Oh, well, they make it very clear. You could never find your daughter again and you can never find your son yet. again. <laughs> and that you can't come back to this world once you leave it. But they but, say you can't come back to it because you created it. But then like, why can't you go back to it? But she totally it? went back to <laughs> she it. She totally did. No. So then she like. She has an ampule. She has an ampule and she becomes her son and experiences life from his perspective, mm-hmm. like from his birth. Through like growing up and watching her act, There's a lot of kites, and then like yada yada, and then I think the end, <laughs> yada yada and yada, then, and the then end. she's her again, and then she sees someone flying a kite, and she's like, "Aaron, is that you?" And he's like, "Silence!" And then the silence movie in the movie ends. He's flying an airplane. He's flying a kite. He's got an. He's got a little air. Yeah, there's a right like Wright, a Wright Brothers Wright plane Brothers lands, airplane. So yeah, yeah. That was a very confusing ending, but I think <laughs> that, that was confusing. <laughs> Everything else made perfect sense until the end, but then. But I think that the reason why she went through that whole process of being her son was so she could figure out where he would go so that she could find him. Right, but I think it's all in her head, man. The whole thing's in her head. <laughs> why? Like, none of it makes sense. Only... Because if that, if she could be him, then why wouldn't the first time she took the drug to see the syndrome, like she have had a more realistic experience of what it was like to be him? Why, when she's looking, when her and John Hammer looking out over all the naturalists, he's like, "Sarah's down there, but you'd never be able to find her because she doesn't look like you, and you don't look like you." And she's and one of the like, only right. women who can still. You know who you are. Just ask for Sarah. She's down there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. Everything is so silly about this movie. That's my favorite line, which I'm going to use forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll make you an ampule and I'll call you a kite. One of the biggest problems with this movie, there's so many problems, um, is that they yada, yada, yada a really important chunk, which is from when she signs the contract to the 20 years later, how does society get to like where it is? That's mm-hmm. an important, mm-hmm. important piece of making this message. And instead yeah. they're just like, you get it. This is naturally how is... things would turn out. Of course they would. Well, here's the other thing. So it's 20 years later, she goes to Cartoon Land and then she is in cryogenic sleep for 20 years I don't, after that. another yeah, 20 so years? It's like 40, 40, yeah, 40 that's what they years. say. 40 that's what Paul Giamatti says. I, but it makes no 40. sense. Timeline doesn't make no, any sense. No, because he's she still alive. Oh, she doesn't look 20 years older because she was in cryogenic. Right, but right. he's still alive and he shouldn't. Look he looks older. He should be in yeah, his but 80s. he should be yeah, way older than he's. <laughs> I guess like I really thought she was only in cryogenic for like five years or he something. He being Paul Giamatti, yeah. the doctor. Well, I mean, like I guess he, they gave him kind of like a burly gray beard, but it's so stupid. And that's why John I thought that's why I thought Aaron was only like cartoon. thirty <laughs> or forty when she ends up reuniting with him, if she even does or whatever. But that's yeah. that's the part that drove me crazy. Is the setup of this movie is like her son has this terrible, debilitating, regressive disease that she has to sacrifice for which is the whole premise. And then after the movie has jumped ahead 20 to 40 years, it's like, and he still not, he's still just struggling with it. I'm like, that's very bad. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we're saying all this stuff about like blindness and whatever, like in the movie, he can, the son, when she's talking to him on the phone, right when she arrives, the first time she arrives in this cartoon world, like he's still having a conversation with her on the phone. They're still talking. Like we're saying that the movie told us 
he was supposed to go blind like pretty severely and and, and as by, the motivation for her yeah all of her actions but like on this. in the movie when she comes back to the real it's so only when I she can't returns tell if this movie's punishing her for I, like making these choices even though the choices were motivated out of love for the child like this movie doesn't know what it's talking about well this has movie, no message this movie was all about like you know these men saying like you made all these wrong choices robin yeah. you made all these terrible awful choices but she actually chose to like stop acting and be a mother to her children i don't think she was a washed up actress when she was living in the airplane hangar she was like well i just want to you know i want to be a mom to my kids yeah. and stay at home and i didn't really maybe i didn't really want to act anymore and she did that for those 20 years yeah but i don't know it just doesn't make any sense because this guy seems really cynical about the movie making industry but mm. he also seems to think that they have way more power than they do in terms of running the world I had a real problem because the first couple scenes in this movie, first 15 minutes, sets up this premise that is the premise for a movie. The movie industry is very exploitative of women. It's run by men. They control everything. If you're a woman in this industry and you want to act, expect lots of bad things to happen to you because you have very little control or power. And if you need to help your sick son, it's even going to be even worse for you. And I was like, this is a fine premise. It's nothing new or interesting, but it's like, you can make a movie out of this. And then it just repeats that premise for about an hour of like, then Paul Giamatti talks about it. And then Harvey Keitel talks about it again. And then the cinematographer shows it. And then she meets this producer guy who explains how they're going to exploit her. And then she jumps ahead 20 years. And there's another scene where the head of Miramount is talking about how you are going to, you are exploiting images of women. Like sometimes it's a person saying it explicitly. Sometimes it's her talking about how horrible it is. Sometimes it's somebody like a, a male character who has a lot of power, who is describing how great it is for him to be in this situation, but it never actually goes anywhere with that premise it just repeats it over and over and over again until it kind of loses the plot entirely but like the premise never goes anywhere and then by the end of the movie the plot's about her trying to find her son which maybe relates to why she got into the why her career took the turns it did but it's not relate like those are not the same well and thought (laughs) and because they skipped over that entire 20 years i don't understand the infrastructure of the world anymore Mm. like if if everybody's high all the time, nobody's making any money, nobody can support themselves, nobody's eating, nobody's sleeping, like, what do people do? Like, do people breed anymore? Like, none of the logistics make any sense to no. me. And they're just like, but go with it. And I can't go with it, you guys. I just like, you know, um, I need a better crafted sci-fi story where they're like, you know, we have drones or we have this and this is why, this is why we want everybody to be hallucinating. Because why would a movie company want everybody to have this power because then they wouldn't be able to sell them anything anymore. Right. And that doesn't make any sense. I guess like, they're selling them the ampules. But how are the people making money to buy the ampules if they're high all the time? Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No. There's I, no economy here. Maybe it's like... I'm so upset with this movie. Maybe it's like, uh, people don't have to pay for anything anymore so the people who are, had the money in the first place don't lose. He took the legs out from under the book, basically. The book is based on the idea... And it was, you know, problems from way. The book, I think, was written in the early 1970s. People were concerned about overpopulation. The writer of the book supposed that we didn't get overpopulation under control. And so in the future, we are so overpopulated that there's no way to live a good, pleasant life. There's no space for it. There's Mm -hmm. not enough food to feed people. 
to prevent people from rioting in the streets and you know you know anarchy breaking loose and asking for a redistribution of wealth and that makes way more sense for having this come from a governmental like restrictive perspective of you know subduing the population that is a story that makes sense to me for a movie company a production company to be drugging people so they don't go see your movies well, maybe because they don't have like, to anymore maybe the movie Makes no sense. company works for the government or something but none of that was none of it was ever we're like, just guessing we're just shooting at right. you're just really and making I, excuses I, for I yeah, this I, awful movie i agree with nicole because there are lots of science fiction stories where there you can leave blank spaces where mm-hmm. they don't explain things but if you don't explain how the system works in the future then I don't know in this movie where let's say the premise is that the movie industry is exploitive of women and their talent. Right. That is Robin Wright in the future after she's sold her soul with this contract. Is she now rich and she's in a position where she's one of the few women where using this opportunity she's now able to exploit the system but no one else is are they is she really poor and no matter how you try and get out of the system you're always going to be exploited no matter what you do if you're a woman it's not clear because you never know what well you never know what the system is i guess maybe there might have been like a mini commentary by paul giamatti when she's when she returns to his office and they hug it out after reuniting he says like oh it's not so courageous to 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 choose not to live in that world or something like where what did Which, you by the way, think of totally that part made me think of like is this like physician assisted suicide and like yeah. thing is a metaphor for heaven where like where the, you can the, go and do whatever you yeah, want where but the, you might not see the people that you where you the know, doctors loved there because it's your heaven and not theirs and they yeah. don't intermingle like i was like is this getting really like i philosophical or Am I again giving the movie too much credit? I think maybe too much credit because <laughs> none of just, it made sense. Then I just don't. I didn't. I didn't understand. Like, okay, so in the cartoon world, the people are imagining themselves as like you know these fantastical, glamorous things. But in the real world, all those people are actually just kind of like like poor people shuffling in like rags, just mm-hmm. shuffling mindlessly in the street. But in also that world that exists in the in that world. There's also Paul Giamatti, who's like a rich looking doctor and everyone's in their like crisp suits and mm-hmm. everyone's just it's like a, yeah, there's two I don't different, understand the economy. Yeah, there's two different classes of people. One both sad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand the economy either. But I guess in that world, don't think about it too hard. You'll get angry like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the other part of that is the other the other way that they did not leverage the the story that they were basing it on very well is that the whole premise of the movie is that it's all about entertainment right it's yeah. all about movies mm-hmm. and the book is about society right so uh in the movie basically they go from we're going to scan you and use your image you'll never act again to everybody sees everybody else as a cartoon but they're still movies made with your scanned image yeah you can still go see triple r it's in the air they're saying and then they're going to move from that to where there are no more movies there's just your imagination your heightened imagination mm-hmm. or whatever that's all just one industry though yeah it's not it society doesn't make any sense yeah. and if you if he, if the movie had maybe somehow suggested that because people devote all their time to entertainment to watching tv or whatever mm-hmm. if, he, if they had made that the metaphor that this is what happens this is the extrapolation from going from 
you know, spending all your time watching TV at, as an escape from how horrible the world is mm-hmm. to now you just are immersed in your entertainment because the world has, the horror of the world You're has pitching progressed. pitching a better movie. Right. I'm, yeah. That's that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm intending to do. They're not saviors. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's basically what I'm saying yeah. is they didn't, they didn't recognize that what they were talking about was this one industry. The industry, mm-hmm. not society. If they had talked about society, that would have been one thing. Right. And that's also where there's a, there's a, break in the movie where everybody on earth is influenced by hallucinogens but the doctors and whatever are all up in the blimps well that implies that it is society because the whole world now is separated into people who aren't hallucinating and who live above the world that's not a logical progression from a movie yeah a movie star being scanned i think that the person who made this movie just like he equates them and he starts off in this right. place where they're equal, where they're, they're one and the same. But he, we don't, we're not in the movie industry. We're not movie makers. Like we, you need to, you need to make that connection for us. Yeah, Whoever like, made I guess this if movie. filmmaking is your whole life, then maybe you could sort of see them as the big bad. <laughs> Ugh, that's but... <laughs> such a, that's such a like tunnel vision yes. way of living. Like nobody, like that's not, movies aren't the real world. Right. <laughs> Stop. Well, there's, there's like this concept where, even if you go step outside of the plot of the movie, every movie expresses some viewpoints, like what is kept in, what is kept out, how what's expressed and not expressed. And so we're looking at this movie where there's a lot of contradictory elements or things that don't really tie together, and we're going, well, what does it, what does it mean? What is it saying? But then when I think about the way the characters are drawn, it paints a really negative picture of the filmmaker it makes me really mad and upset yes. because mm-hmm. like John's Ham's character is I was an animator and I became so obsessed with you Robin Wright and I invested in your history that I've fallen in love with you and, and the way that that is portrayed is he's a tragic well, hero and yeah. he's willing to sacrifice anything right. and for it's her romantic and, and it's she gross. loves him and it's yeah. just like and it's just left on the table that way of like yeah, of course someone in this situation would be tragic because right. he sacrificed so much for her all the way up till the end. The end. Be, more plainly, her stalker is a hero. Yeah, that's, what you're that's saying. so gross. This movie is about, a, has one central character, Robin Wright, and a ton of men who control everything that's happening. It's not about women. I mean, her not... character arc is she really wants to be an actress, but what she really wants is to be a good mom. Like, and she tries. She sacrifices a lot to be a good mom. For a the movie, end. For a movie that's trying to be meta and trying to say something, although I don't know what it's trying to say. Yeah, that's a little harder to I tell. am really surprised that she didn't do more <laughs> to stop it from being a train wreck. <laughs> for being like, bad. like, did she not tell them, like, guys, I don't have any agency here. Like, this isn't... I don't know. This it just, scene sucks. This, so this guy this that I have cartoon scene. sex with isn't romantic. He's creepy. Like, yeah, he's a monster. You know, I don't... I just don't understand how this... How was this movie made? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's made me very bad. But it yeah. was interesting to see that there were, you know, there, there's these themes in um, Born in Flames and these themes in the Congress that are... They intersect, like, media controlling people's minds mm. and the, you know... That media's role in society was one. Um, women being subjected to bullshit constantly is another theme. Right. Except but the con- none of them are. The Congress <laughs> is the bad thing. Yeah, that's right. It's the bad place. It's a man controlling the media and the messaging in a way that is not favorable to women and is not helpful. No, it's gross and upsetting. 
Yeah, it's not good. It makes me feel bad because there are a lot. They're all good actors, and they're really trying Great their actors. hard. Really trying hard to and make this work. And it could have been an interesting premise for a movie. Yeah. I will say, I was not bored watching this movie. I I was I'm, too angry to be bored. Yeah, yeah. same. same. <laughs> I was engaged with this movie from the beginning to the end, and there were some mm-hmm. really beautiful things to look at. The I was cinematography... not in the first 15 minutes. The kite flying was too much for me. Yeah. Um, but I was on board. There Once was the also, cartoon started. I, sometimes yeah. it's, it was a foreign film, basically. It yeah, had a lot it of silences. Vibe. It didn't have a lot of music in certain scenes. Like, there was no music playing where there was conversations going on. Yeah. There was nothing really driving things forward. It was just low-level conversations. So it's not even conversations because hardly anyone talks to each other. It's almost all monologue. Yeah. From one character, mostly talking it's, to Robin Wright, yeah, who doesn't talk. Two people in the same room sitting across from each other, but only one of them is really talking, and the other one is listening. You all know, of John Hamm's ta- dialogue almost exclusively is monologue. Yeah. You know what's really stupid in a movie is to have the male agent explain why it's so hard for women in the industry which is one of harvey keitel's speeches that he gives yeah and it's like why didn't you give that speech to robin wright she would know she would know better than the harvey keitel character what is a problem for women in the industry if the son and the if her children are going to be the crux of her entire motivation you should really spend some time developing what the hell is going on with them and who they are because it ends up the first 15 minutes end up being the entire premise for all of her motivation and by the end Aaron is just a disease and her daughter is an afterthought yeah mm-hmm. it disappears out of the movie Aaron you're a disease Sarah you're an afterthought somebody's sneaking hi, in Mimi goodbye <laughs> Mimi poked her nose and pushed the door open oh, here she hi, comes Mimi. again I think this movie is an example of what the movie was trying to be an example of. Yeah. Like, against. Yeah. Like, the, mo- the movie maker was like, this is what I'm against. But then he was actually doing what he was against. And I was like, oh, you're such a shitty man. <laughs> yeah, you're so sucks. lame. You don't even know. You don't even see that you are what you hate. Yeah. That's just like in the freaking Born in Flames when Adelaide was like, oh, you're so frustrating to me that you're like, not wanting to see what's actually in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm here explaining it to you. It's not going anywhere. It's just bouncing off the surface. Yeah. But the, one of the biggest contrasts between these two movies, one movie that got it right and one movie that got it wrong, is mm-hmm. that uh, Born in Flames was made basically by a movie, a filmmaker never made a movie before and didn't know anything about it, which is part of the reason why it's, it is structured the way that it is is because it's not structured like somebody who went to film school. It's structured like somebody who is trying to make a movie about something. Like many of our favorite <laughs> movies, honestly, on this podcast, right. are almost always made by somebody who has no experience in the film industry. Because you don't know what's going to happen next yeah, in movies like that. Yeah, wild and interesting. And then this other movie, which obviously had millions and millions of dollars to oh, spend. Yeah. It was beautiful to look at. Uh, I wasn't that impressed with the soundtrack, but the acting, you know, was top-notch acting. There's... Yeah, they d- really tried. They really did try. Well, you get money thrown at you if you're a male filmmaker, I guess, <laughs> and you don't get money thrown at you if you're a female filmmaker, I guess. Well, I don't and that's know. reflected in her in Lizzie Borden's career too, because mm-hmm. yeah. she made mm-hmm. she made this movie, she made Working Girls that was critically acclaimed as well, mm. and then she made a Hollywood movie that was a disaster and she really she still has some she still wants to make movies i think she may have made four movies but in the interview she talks about the fact that you know she has this movie she wants to make i think it's about abortion if i remember correctly mm-hmm. or about an abortion doctor um and she's been working on get, you know trying to get funding to make this movie mm-hmm. for a long time but 
after the bad experience of making a movie with Harvey Keitel, or not Harvey Keitel, Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. uh, where she didn't have control, she didn't mm-hmm. have creative control over the product, and it didn't turn out well, and it was a it was a bomb, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, she got one failure, and that was it. Wasn't there another female director we had watched a movie by last season mm-hmm. who had the same similar thing a similar situation oh, i mean i wouldn't be surprised it's a yeah. pretty universal story uh, uh, well there was boxing helena oh my god yeah. that was not a good who movie was, for me oh no no lady? you're right uh it was a she made the movie about the girl who gets possessed by a demon jennifer's body jennifer's oh, yeah. body yeah that was fun oh, that's um she did juno yeah, the writer, Diablo yeah. County, but the director the was director. someone else. She had a similar oh, she story. Did, um, mm-hmm. the, the way that she got Jennifer's body was she had done a movie, and I can't remember the name of the actress, but it's about a Latinx boxer. Million Dollar Baby? No, that's, no. that's no. not. Was it, this was a it, little it more low budget. It wasn't Girl Fight, was it? Girl Fight. Oh, yeah, oh I yeah, love yeah, Girl yeah. Fight. Yay! So she made that, and then she got Jennifer's body, and then something must have she must have made something that didn't do well. Yeah. And then she was like, eh, so much for my career. That's it. Yeah. Unlike M. Night Shyamalan. He's mm-hmm. made so many. I am an M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan Although he's kind of back. He's kind of, I feel like he's kind of back a little bit. Yes. A couple ones have been but, good. but why did he get so many chances? Because I just, love them all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I support my people. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, uh, I think Lexi Alexander, if I'm saying her name right, a similar career where she like had a couple successes and then had a bomb. And then was never basically not allowed to make a movie again. And she is currently out there. Who's Lexi Alexander? She made, I'm going to look up her, her movie. She made uh, a Punish, the movie Punisher Warzone, which I really love, oh, no. <laughs> which I think is great. <laughs> but she basically like, it was a flop. So they just, that was the end of her career for now. That's I'm going to look funny. up her other movies. And we did talk about, successful. so one, one of the few known people in Born in Flames was Catherine Bigelow, who has mm. managed to be pretty successful as a female director like one of the only ones she directed oh she's a director of an episode of arrow green street hooligans and johnny flinton she is a female director but who mostly directs like action movies and action stuff so she directed some episodes of arrow and other stuff since then but she had she made a couple um, a really successful movie then a less successful movie and then back to tv for her where's our ida lupino I don't know. We don't have one. There's no. never been. She was the only one. So Ida Lupino was. Uh, she directed a movie we watched for season one. I'm yeah. talking to Nicole now. It's me. <laughs> uh, called The Hitchhiker. It oh was, yeah, it's a Ooh, really that was good great. movie. That was awesome. Uh, it's a horror movie about a serial killer. Wasn't that remade in like? Early no, there is another movie called like that, the but it's or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, it's it's Hitch. Yeah. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you're getting us off track. <laughs> Yeah, but Ida Lupino was like uh, the first woman ever to direct herself in a TV show. Mm-hmm. She was extremely prolific director of movies and TV hmm. in the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s time frame. Hitchhiker's really cool. You should watch it. Okay. So she directed herself in an episode of The Twilight Zone, and that was the first time that a woman had directed herself in an episode of anything. Cool. But, uh, but we don't have anybody like that. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she worked steadily on lots and lots of the most popular television at the time. Yeah, I'm trying to think who would be the most. Patty Jenkins might have that opportunity. Like, she's, well, maybe Catherine Bigelow because she's yeah, pretty. Right. I'm trying to think who's who's might even have the possibility to um, go the distance. Greta Gerwig might get there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's some people who could if they don't get their uh, careers completely 
exploded by something as as tends to happen for all of these people they have one failure and then they're never given the opportunity again <laughs> so uh how did you feel about the congress dad Lo- loved it <laughs> pu put it on mute <laughs> fast forward i think watching the animation on mute with like some soundtrack that you enjoy mm-hmm. would probably be pretty cool with yeah. an herb of choice yeah. 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 <laughs> animation's great the dialogue is extremely stinky, both animated and non-animated yeah. scenes. It's a lot of monologues. And Born in Flames kind of reminds me, I would compare it favorably to um, uh, Medium Salt cool. of the Earth. Oh, Salt of the Earth. Yeah, because it, it's they were both feminist films mm, okay. with strong female characters based on, well, I mean, Salt of the Earth is based on a real, real events that happened, but it's very woman-centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... You know, this one was sort of documentary, but not really. It was mm-hmm. trying to actually just tell a story. So it reminded me the most of it, sort of like a Bizarro World version of Bob Roberts, um, because it's <laughs> documentary style. There's sort of a revolutionary vibe to it, and a I would say somewhat dark ending. <laughs> Um, but there's a movie that Bob I Bob really Roberts watch. coming up. It's oh, are we watching? It's coming it? up in the '90s. Oh, what a good horrible we, we movie! We have uh, we have one more '80s watch first. Awesome! I can't wait. That's a that'll be a really interesting to watch in 2018. Probably make my stomach hurt. Yeah. Right. And well, it made my stomach hurt when I watched it the first time. So. Yeah, it's probably worse now. Have either of you watched Bob Roberts? Mm-mm. You seen Bob Roberts, Nicole? I feel mm. like we watched it together. with Tim Robbins as a right-wing an up-and-coming right-wing populist politician i don't think we've watched it with jack black as a young nazi yes oh my god <laughs> didn't we watch that i feel like i watched it yeah, maybe you did but not with me <laughs> you Let may me very see. well have watched it but i we feel have like not if i had seen that i would definitely remember it. you would definitely remember it. it's very <laughs> i effective. remember that although there are things with we've talked about I, there it. Are things jack black was in when he was much younger where i'm like Jack Black was in that movie. <laughs> yeah, and when I used to watch it again. It's Enemy like, of the State. Jack Black is there. Well, I remember him from Waterworld. Yeah, Waterworld. That's right. Maybe I haven't uh, seen. This all right, movie. We'll, we should we'll probably. Watch it. it's uh, good stuff. Okay, so we should like, plug things like Born in Flames. Yeah, didn't what? so much like the Congress. Mm-hmm. I'm or, gonna I'm gonna plug something right now. Let's see yes. it. Hear it. Watch. The, no, I'm sorry. Don't watch. Read the Futurological Congress. <laughs> it's a great book. By Run. A don't great watch. Author. <laughs> Stanislaw Lem, it's good science fiction. It's really good writing. What's the other stuff? He wrote Solaris? Solaris. Okay. Mm-hmm. He wrote a lot of things. But yeah, famous yeah. name. Uh, do I have anything else I want to plug? Uh, yeah. Is this where we're plugging stuff that is making us less sad? Well, we didn't talk about <laughs> We, we forgot to talk about what's going on in the yeah. world today. I was like, we, we kind of did. Somewhat. was the last We normally recording. do. One of the things I, I mentioned to uh, Nicole and Karen before the show is that I had read an article must have been in the New York Times where they're changing the the construction site signs mm-hmm. so that they say men and women at work instead of men at work. Great. And I'm like, we mm, did it. We I did know? it. Sexism <laughs> over. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, the other problem was, was it, oh, it wasn't the New York Times. I don't remember what, what outlet it was. But the other problem was they were, they were referring to that as gender neutral signage. And I'm like, it's so not gender neutral. It's both genders. It's just very gendered. It says gendered is it's more gendered now. It's twice as gendered. It's got two genders. Two, two, two. And only two, the only two that you could ever choose from. So stupid. People at work, people at work, people at work, man. We need more female prison guards. (laughs) Equality now. (sighs) So that was in the news. 
Cool, 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 cool. At my work, this was in the Seattle Times yesterday. This is good news. The other legal aid group at my office, or one of the other ones, Housing Justice Project, um, just received $3 million from the Mariners yesterday. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, $2 million of which will go to be a fund to pay off landlords when they file evictions against people so that if somebody's behind by a month of rent they can just have this fund come in and pay that month of rent so they don't end up on the street cool and then another million dollars to i assume drastically expand how big that legal aid uh group is because i don't think their budget's that huge so that's really cool thanks mariners goodwill Mm -hmm. towards men buy it and women (laughs) and everyone else anything to plug uh <laughs> sure go listen to third act saviors um i assume soon the last episode we recorded was the christmas chronicles starring kurt russell so probably by oh. the time you hear this episode it'll already be I out i'm so excited you did that <laughs> so you can go listen to how we feel about the christmas chronicles in a new christmas episode yeah i'll do that before i watch the christmas chronicles because i i have been like do i want to see that i don't know i like kurt russell but this doesn't look good (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) yay i'm so excited do you have anything to plug i don't think i have anything to plug. i'm reading something what are you reading oh i'm reading the inheritance trilogy by Mm -hmm. nk jemison it's award-winning bunch of hugo awards which is i guess the best award you could get in Mm -hmm fantasy and sci-fi books yeah that's right yeah and by the way she's like a young woman of color she's a black woman who writes these like sick books and actually because i'm not you know very familiar with this genre at all um jacob was the one who said hey karen you should read these uh, these books i think you'd like them and they're really good yeah oh boy they're so adventurous awesome what is it called again the inheritance trilogy it's like three books um by nk jemison and then after that I'm going to, once I get through those three <laughs> books, when will I ever get it's through? It's very long. I'm such a slow reader. Um, after that, it's called the Broken Earth Trilogy, and she's won Hugo Awards for, I think, all those three books. Like, she's just... Yeah, she's, on, she's crushing it. Yeah, she's kicking ass. Like, she's very... Oh, the, the way that she writes. I, I kind of stayed away from sci-fi and fantasy books because I thought, like, ugh, they're not really that well written, and it's a genre dominated by, like... I don't know, like what I think is just like geeky white dudes. And That's it's true. And it's just like, okay, so I'm on board now that N.K. Jemison is like rocking the scene. How would you and- synopsize the book you're reading now? For people who are listening who like fantasy and science fiction, what's the book about? I guess the book is about, well, the one, the one, yeah, the one you're reading. I'm reading right now is this uh, tough gal who suddenly finds herself plopped into this society that she doesn't agree with the norms of and she has to find a way to i don't know rock that world in her <laughs> own style and it's so cool and it's like oh this is kind of like what nk jemison is doing in her in her genre and that's kind of what her character is doing in this book like she her character is plopped into this world that she didn't even really want to be a part of and now she has to to survive she has to figure out how to navigate this world, but also stay true to herself. And um, and there's like some romantic parts of it, but also weird parts of it, and also like kick-ass fight parts of it. And it's just it's like... A lot of politics. Yeah, a lot of stuff. politics and very interesting, juicy story. Mm. It's really, it's like a page turner. Yes, it is. So I'll plug that. Ooh, I'll plug <laughs> that. Um, yeah, if you like fantasy, it's got sort of a, I don't know, would you say like a Greek pantheon sort of vibe? It's like... It's a fantasy world where there are gods that walk among the people 
and in the that book they are have been enslaved by mm-hmm. the sort of white ruling class mm-hmm. and uh but they are involved in the politics and world they're like used as pawns mm-hmm. uh in this world i don't know it's just a very interesting cool story what do you got nicole um so i haven't seen these things because they haven't come out yet but i'm pretty excited about looping back to patty jenkins she's doing a limited series with chris pine called um i am the knight and it's based on the black dahlia murders Mm. and that looks awesome my favorite band and (laughs) um the other thing that looked really cool was i just saw a preview for a movie that's coming out called brightburn and Mm. the idea behind the story is Imagine the Superman story, the origin story of, you know, him crashing on the planet, being raised by this couple in a farm in Kansas. But instead of them raising this sort of nice, you know, person who's here to save us and has great immoral compass, what if he, like, just was a little evil? And we Mm. have just this thing to contend with that's like (laughs) a child (laughs) with these powers. Interesting. Yeah. So go find the preview. Be excited about it with me. Cool. It might be out by the time you hear this. What's it <laughs> called? Bright Brightburn. Brightburn. Okay. Maybe, maybe okay. I should plug my brilliant friend. Oh, oh, you've been watching that. You were watching that hardcore. Yeah, I really was. You should get. You guys should watch my brilliant friend. It's like it's based on a book series, which I really want to watch. Which I really want to read now too. And it's like the story of these two gals and their childhood friendship that has morphed into like this, like you know adult friendship between two women and it's just like this interesting story of it's it's not a it's not a story about a woman and a man and love and romance it's more like a story about the complexity of a female relationship and it's just like a, like a non-romantic female relationship and it's just so cool it's hmm. pre-world war ii yeah italy, correct? It, yep correct and it's or so is it, good is it italy or spain italy italy Oh, it's so awesome. It's mm. just such a great show. And HBO? HBO. Mark? Yes, okay. HBO. Cool, okay. Yeah, yeah, watch that. I've been watching a lot of old westerns and new westerns. I've gotten into a western kick, which is funny because, like, they are horribly, like, misogynistic and they're all white people. <laughs> or white very, people in brown very, face. Very few women. old ones. And at the same time, I watched some of these old ones and I'm like, these are so much more interesting stories. There's like there's an element here that I wish could be taken and translated into modern movies because I think I mean a lot of the ones I'm watching like the spaghetti westerns were made sort of outside of the or outside of the traditional studio structure, which lets them be weird or they were shaggy. called spaghetti westerns because they weren't made here, right? Because they're made in Italy, and you can uh, there's elements where it's like. This thing was clearly made made on a tiny budget with just whoever was around. But there's qualities of them where like, ah, oh, you could make a modern movie and a little looser with a little lower budget and make something really good. Spaghetti Westerns remind me a little bit of like uh, Kung Fu movies. Yeah, sure. They actually, what they remind me the most of watching them now is last season's decade podcast of cheap horror movies where I'm like, they're sometimes they're bad or they're they've got all these like, regressive politics or regressive elements but there's something to the way they were made where it's like the script is probably really good they've been really stripped down to almost nothing and they're still entertaining one of the things so i've been listening to the audiobook this is completely unrelated to what you just said by the way but it made it reminded you of it <laughs> no i don't know what, what happened there <laughs> okay it was on my mind i've been listening to diet land and the reason oh, i've been listening to diet land is because uh, i watched the show and there is an element to 
that story that reminded me of the born in flames, the women on the bicycles whistling and surrounding mm-hmm. the rapists yep. mm-hmm. um, because they get really militant. And I'm, I'm not to that point in the story yet, but it's also about, it's about the oppression of the beauty industry and, you know, body shaming and all of this stuff, all of this weight that is put on women. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. that was not intended. But all of the, burdens <laughs> yeah. that are put on women uh, by our society which is kind of what born in flames was about fighting against that mm-hmm. which is not what the congress was about <laughs> no. very, very um but it's all gonna the next few episodes that we watch kind of like the 60s and 70s they all kind of all of those movies that we watched from the 60s and 70s had had a, a thread of history in common and we're going into a new period, the 80s and the 90s, which were, which are all going to have mm-hmm. this other... These we're going to the Clinton era, baby! Right, <laughs> we're, going, we're going headlong towards the Clintons, to, yeah. towards Bill Clinton and uh, the impeachment there, mm-hmm. which is going to be interesting. Yeah, that's going to warp all the stuff coming forward, I think. Yeah, there's going to be a little... I, we're going to talk about the Me Too movement probably many times. Yeah. Over the next few episodes. Although, yeah. maybe not in the next episode. Okay. The next episode, we're going to watch two documentaries. Are we at that point yet? I mean, we might as well, <laughs> since right. we're talking about what's coming up. So, we're going to watch a documentary about Harvey Milk that was made mm. in the 80s. Okay. Um, I can't remember when he was killed. It was probably... This this movie, I think, might have been made shortly after that. Or maybe mm-hmm. even before that. I can't remember. The other documentary we're going to watch is about the... Um, overturning title eight. Oh, well that sounds good that's what's going on what's it called two documentaries it's called that's why i paused the case against eight we're gonna watch the times of harvey milk from 1984 and the case against eight from 2014 yeah, those the... were mimi's claws <laughs> yeah hardwood floor. we're she's... just we're just letting her wander around i don't know what she's doing over there this episode is anarchy <laughs> mimi is a very cute dog that jacob family has and she's very what like she's just so fluffy are you saying it's not mariah carey just wandering around the room (laughs) no it's not oh i have one more plug before we talk about the cocktails uh through stuff i do at work um there's a initiative initiative 1000 this is Mm. initiative not to be on the ballot this is initiative to go to the legislature to tell them to do something and i recommend if you're in washington state probably by the time you've heard this podcast it'll be too late but if it's (laughs) not go sign initiative 1000 i learned a little bit which made me feel dumb but uh affirmative action is banned by law mm-hmm. in washington state because of a tim iman initiative from i 200 20 years ago i remember it well. initiative 1000 <laughs> is a bipartisan bill to repeal the results of i 200 and to make some changes to allow affirmative action in washington state to uh, allow preferential hiring practices based on a number of classifications, including veteran status, um, and also to remove, among a bunch of other things, to kind of modernize that, the way that people can have preferences during hiring practices in Washington State. I recommend that everybody go sign it, because we're Washington State is like 48 out of 50 states in terms of hiring equality. And uh, this would put us uh, probably past number one in terms of our ability to do that, according to the proponents of I-1000. It's not to go on the ballot. This is just to tell the legislature, 
which is already in favor of this, to put it forward. It has wide Democratic and Republican support by both governors of both parties. Now, if by the time people have listened to this and it's too late to sign on to the initiative, should they still contact their local congressperson and tell them they're in support of said (laughs) If you hear (laughs) this movement and it hasn't already passed... Yes, please contact your Congress people, your local legislature, and say, you should be in support of I-1000 if you're not already, because uh, it would really help a lot for just about every sort of em- employment opportunity in Washington State. Cool. You want to talk about the cocktail, Mom? Sure. I had a lot of trouble with this cocktail. <laughs> and in fact... Uh, when making it? <laughs> making it, designing it, uh, everything. Dropping the ice cubes I, well, in Well, the most spectacular edition was tonight this was probably the most uh successful <laughs> version of the drink so yeah. i wanted to do because it's sci-fi i wanted to do some molecular gastronomy um and my original concept was like a clear drink with a very dark um caviar in it mm-hmm. made of something and so the caviar that i made that's not how the drink turned out but the caviar that i made uh is made of grind coffee liqueur a little dry curacao and some espresso. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mix sodium alginate in that and you let it sit around for a while and drop it into a calcium calcium bath to, and it makes little pearls. Of It's got a really good coffee flavor. Yeah. Mm, yes. Sometimes when you do that process on something, it loses some of its, mm. you know, it changes the flavor of the thing and so it doesn't taste quite the same, but the coffee flavor of the pearls was really good. Yeah. And then... Uh, I wanted it to be on fire, but I've yeah, never done right. a fire drink before. Um, and also, I, I because I had to because I wasn't a shake shaken drink. I needed to find some way to make it cold, so I wanted to put ice into it. But I yeah. don't really like to put ice into a drink because it melts. It, yeah, it, well, it dilutes um, it. Yeah, it dilutes it. So um, I did some experimentation with coconut water, which freezes pretty well. Lots of mm. juice doesn't freeze solid. It, it'll be kind of it's like, like a, so. yeah, it'll be like Renita or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it'll be soft, but coconut water freezes pretty well. Mm. So I added some blue pea flour to... Butterfly pea. Butterfly pea, <laughs> sorry. Butterfly pea flour to uh, coconut water and a little vanilla and then mm-hmm. froze that. And it froze, that froze really yeah, well. It like. Is it butterfly pea flour like it's a type of flour or is it mm-hmm. butterfly urine flour? It's butterfly pea. It's like a sweet pea. Oh, okay. Like P-E-A. So yeah. it's not urine. No, it's not urine. It's from like butterflies. It okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> it's, as far as you know. It's a flower. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and it's used to make color-changing drinks. This wasn't mm. a color-changing drink because it did not have any acid in it. There's no acid in this drink whatsoever. Mm, I guess that's true. Um, but if you if you add acid to a drink that has like a anything, an ice cube made with butterfly pea, mm-hmm. the blue will turn to pink. Mm, It'll change color. Have, didn't we did. Yes. Yeah, there's a drink I don't like remember that. which one it was, but we uh, definitely had it. Gabriel over the White House. We've had a few. Yeah. Yeah, that was politics, a... probably. What yeah. was the horror movie? I don't think I knew about it. I don't think I used Butterfly Pea season one. But all. we had color-changing liquor you gave us at yeah. our house. Yes, you probably took it home after yes. I used it for mm-hmm. an ep- one of the episodes. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah. So, anyway, it's a, it it's basically a rum drink, rum and uh, dry curacao, and then it's got the little coffee beads at the bottom, and then a float mm-hmm. of rum on top, yeah. <laughs> and I set that on fire, and then dropped the ice cube into it, and we got one really, really spectacular flame out of that, and then some other pretty good flames. Yeah, it's still explosive, but not as explosive. 
Yeah, but I I don't know. I might not set things on fire. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's kind of scary. It is scary, but cool. As is fire. <laughs> I thought it was good. Maybe not my flavor profile of choice, but no, still pretty. I really it's liked of, the coffee pearls. Those are my favorite part. Yeah, it's one of the more, I mean, the base part is really just rum with some curacao in yeah, it. Yeah, it's very so sweet. It's, it, yeah, it's a sweet drink, and it's, it doesn't have a whole lot of anything other than alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yum, yum. How did the coconut water ice cube i thought it was made, fine i thought that when it diluted into the drink it worked because it was a little sweet and then the drink it's one of those drinks where it gets a little it gets sweeter while you drink it because mm-hmm. you're getting closer to the coffee pearls and then the coconut water is sweet too it's just it worked it was a yeah. very pleasant nice finish yeah. i like the combination <laughs> of coffee and coconut i mean i thought that was mm-hmm. tasty actually yeah, I like to get that, and like when you get a mocha with coconut milk, and you're like, oh, cocoa mocha. <laughs> so good. Like I'm like that sometimes. I'll order a cocoa oh, mocha. So fancy. <laughs> or almond milk. Yeah. Sometimes. I like almond milk for hot chocolate. I'll plug almond milk for hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a good cocktail recently at Dintai Fung, uh, which was called a burnt orange or something i forget yeah, what it was, was it was gin and curacao it was tasty roasted orange peel oh man i had some i had these crazy it was like a 20 dollar cocktail you should sell your cocktails for 20 dollars deb <laughs> yeah <laughs> because right. like the cocktails we had at this one place it was it was our holiday party at our office yesterday and we went to this one place in bellevue called citizens unrest or something it was this i'm rolling my eyes at that name yeah Here i know i know <laughs> I know, but it was, uh, they were pretty fancy beverages. What'd you have? I don't um, know what the cocktail was called. Flowers for Denaire, and it was in the menu called Bitters, like Bitter Ender. I don't know, mm. very themed. It was like a bitter, herby, egg whitey drink. It was good. Mom, become a mixologist. Okay. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess for our next podcast, I'll have to do something with milk in it. Okay. Oh, like doing like a Smith & Wesson sort of thing. <laughs> Smith and Kearns, the one with the milk in it. Make a fog. Yeah, do Make a Make a drink, drink that comes with milk a fog. Milk fog. What? Because of Harvey Milk? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, thanks for having been on this episode, Karen. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being a guest. Yay. If you'd like Karen back again, send a tweet or whatever. <laughs> if you like <laughs> half thought out sentences and nose breathing on microphone <laughs> heavy breathing vote for me big asmr we know fans you're out, out there, there. <laughs> here do you want another taste <laughs> there vote for me karen hernandez all right well thanks for listening everyone yeah thanks everybody yay yay see happy, you next time happy Bye. holidays or whatever it's oh. not going to be holidays it's, when people listen yeah though. it no. might be a holiday Maybe it's valentine's day valentine's. happy valentine's happy day, President's day. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry about my nose breathing. I didn't Karen's know. such a nose breather all the time. Oh nose breather or nose breather. Hi there. This is Isabel from Radio Ragazza, bringing you a little tune that you'll be hearing an awful lot of these days from the makers of our revolution. You might not be hearing it here, but you'll be hearing it everywhere else you go. Happy anniversary.